is back. The Drool King Lotor has returned with a dark energy that can destroy the galaxy. Our only hope? The Voltron Force, a team of five heroic pilots that control five awesome robot lions. When Lotor's monstrous robot beasts attack, the lions come together to form Voltron, defender of the universe. Welcome Voltron fans, this is Mark Morell, your host for Let's Voltron, the official Voltron podcast. We're here for another exciting episode review from Voltron Force, and I have my co-host here, Greg Tyler. Welcome, Greg. Hello, Mark. Hello, listeners and viewers across the internet and the uh, universe near and far. It's great to have you back on Let's Voltron, and uh, this is a fun episode, and we have someone who's really cool to uh, help us review this one. Yes, we have a special guest. Uh, we met Natalie at Voltcon 2021, and Natalie was also the winner of the Voltcon cosplay contest, dressed up as Pidge from Voltron Force. Very so good. let's welcome Natalie. Hi. Hi, Natalie. Welcome. How are you tonight? I'm good. Been getting ready for this. I got my Voltcom from the contest, and I've got my ninja star too oh nice Very nice <laughs> yeah that's that awesome. a really great costume i you don't see too many people uh cosplaying in voltron force uh wear so that was great to see that was a lot of fun to do and make i had such a blast being there and looking at everyone else's cosplays and it's always fun to see people cosplaying stuff from defender of the universe and the older voltrons absolutely so did you have you done a lot of cosplaying no no. Was this your, your first go around or had you done it any times before? Or I went as Defender of the Universe Pidge in Voltcon year two. Okay. I wasn't there that year, so that must be why I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you're a big fan of Pidge. Mm-hmm. Okay. So are you also uh, somebody who, you know, did all of this cosplay your stuff yourself or did you buy some things and then also make some things how did you do it everything um for my cosplay was handmade except for oh. the visors the light up visors i got those online but everything else handmade the voltcom was made of eva foam i made the ninja star out of resin did a bunch of sewing for the suit that's did great you did you teach yourself all of those skills for those costumes or did you know how to do some well, of that? I actually messaged Eric Stalker, the guy who made the Voltcoms, um, all five of them, like, mm -hmm. hey, how would you go about making this? And he's like, well, what a coincidence. I'm actually making them anyway. So he sent me the patterns, told me how to do it. And through some sort of miracle, I was able to turn his instructions into something physical. <laughs> that is a, that's so great and eric is such a generous person with his time and and his enthusiasm so that's an encouragement that's great and and that visor was a nice touch because it had like the holograms that you see from from voltron force how how did you find that i just did some googling some looking on amazon one of the first things i saw i think it was fifteen dollars not certain wow it was a great costume yeah 
And I also remember you from Voltcon 2021 for being having an amazing knowledge of Voltron trivia. Yes. Uh, going all the way back to the 1980s. You were at Mark's table, the triumphant table. <laughs> and uh, I was at the other table, the uh, the less than triumphant table, but we still had fun. Yeah. So I, I, ha I have to say that we there's no chance we would have won without Natalie. Yeah, you uh, you you blew many 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 people away, including myself. It was great. So right. how how did you get into Voltron and and you know because clearly you were you were uh, going for Voltron Force that year. Uh, I remember your knowledge extending back to the original series so, and of course forward to Legendary Defender. So how did you get into all this? Well, my dad showed me Voltron uh, when I was a little baby. I've been watching it ever since then. And I used to watch Nicktoons religiously when I was mm. little. So I was probably about nine when Voltron Force came out. And I remember seeing the first commercial for it and pausing it and dragging dad into my room at about six o'clock in the morning and showing him because I was so excited. I knew what that was. And I would make him watch every episode with me. And then the end came episode 26 and I'm like oh man I can't wait to see what happens in season two and I waited and I waited and it took me a couple of years to realize maybe they're not continuing it and yeah. then I got so excited when legendary defender came out and yeah. I made him watch that with me too <laughs> did he oh, watch darn. it with uh, with joy or with uh, uh reluctance do you can you do you know <laughs> Either a little bit show. of both. Really? Yeah. Does, does your dad prefer the original show? Yeah. Yeah. I can understand uh, that. <laughs> I, I love all of them. Yeah. Same here. It's it's great that you have your own Voltrons, plural, uh, <laughs> for your own uh, for your own enjoyment too, in addition to what you grew up watching. That's great. Yeah. You're you're a second generation Voltron fan. Do you have a favorite Voltron show uh, series? Uh, it's a toss-up between uh, Voltron Force and Defender of the Universe. I can't pick one. Okay, that's great. Okay. Well, um, so do you have any cosplay plans for Voltcon 2022? Or do you know yet? It's, it's still got time. I don't know. I kind of set a precedent for myself last year. I'm not sure. I'm thinking maybe either Merla or Larmina. Kind of oh, wow. Too. That, both of those would be great. Yeah. I, I don't think I've seen a, a Merla, you know, at, at any of the conventions. Have you, Greg? No, I haven't. I mean, I don't get around to cons as much as you do, but... Uh... I don't remember seeing any online images of anyone cosplaying as either character. So either of those would be very unique and cool. Yeah. And it's, it's been very rare that we've seen any Voltron force cosplay either. So to be able to have either Larmina or Merla would be awesome. Oh yeah. Now this is not from this episode, but. Ah, Gary, <laughs> Gary. Yes. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So, uh, uh, a very uh, creative uh, Voltron uh, fan had made these, uh, a fan of the legendary Defender, but when she was listening to the podcast and heard me talking about how great Gary was, she uh, she made these very, very kindly. So <laughs> are, are you guys ready to get to inside the music? Let's do it. Yeah, All right. Let's do it. 
All right, so Voltron Force inside the music. This is the 14th episode of the series, production number 114. It originally aired November 3rd, 2011, after a, uh, a bit of a hiatus from the previous episode, which had aired August 25th. So uh, people had time to watch some reruns and get caught up on the show. Uh, the story, as with many episodes, was by Todd Garfield and Jeremy Corey, written by Mark Drop. I believe this is Mark's only episode of the show that he wrote. Yes. Uh, directed as all the episodes were by John Delaney. Uh, the cast, uh, you know, the usual suspects, uh, Ashley Ball as Alora, Doran Bell Jr. as Vince, Shannon Chan-Ken as Laramina, Andrew Francis as Lance, Mark Hildreth as Lotor, Giles Panton as Keith, Ty Olson as Hunk, Vincent Tong as Daniel, uh, Sam Vincent as Pidge, and many of these actors did other incidental voices in this episode as well. And, so, uh, and I just wanted to mention, there were a bunch of incidental voices and the yes. voice actors must have had a lot of fun with this one because, <laughs> wow, there were a lot of crowd people at the festival and they showed a lot of them. This had to be the episode that had the most individual characters out of all of them. I think you're right. And I, I, did I did recognize some of the character models as having been used in uh, very early episodes. So I think they were definitely economizing on, on some of the designs that they had already had in previous episodes. Uh, there's one very distinctive character who looks like a kind of like uh, the robot from Metropolis, the old 1928 Fritz Lang film, basically a, a metallic, uh, a fembot, I guess you could say. Uh, there's a character walking around at the concert who, who I remember that very distinct design from uh, the episode, the very first episode where Keith is in that uh, holographic beach with Manset. Uh, so there were there were a couple of models that were reused, but uh, yes, definitely a wide variety of characters. Right. All right. So where do we start this episode? Uh, well, as with all of these shows, we start with a teaser, and um, we start with Princess Allura uh, addressing an ambassador, um, and this is taking place some period of time after Sky Marshal Wade has been apprehended from Clash of the Lions, and the Galaxy Alliance is starting to uh, reunify, finally, and, uh, you know, become what it once was, and Allura is greeting an ambassador, uh, and the ambassador is pleased to be there, but is a bit bummed that uh, one of the heirs of Alfor, Lady Larmina, is missing. Um, and so Allura tries to assure the ambassador that she's around and, well, she does, she does make her presence known. And how's that? How does she do that? Well, things start they're shaking. Loud bass th uh, <laughs> loud bass thrumming through the castle and they're like, oh my gosh, it's an attack. And Allura's <laughs> like, mm, that's no attack. And it cuts to her in Larmina's room yelling at her and Hunk, who are both having quite a loud jam session. <laughs> That's I, right. I, I like how the dignitaries react, you know? It's like, <laughs> it's hit the deck, quick, under the tables. Yeah. We need to call Voltron. <laughs> Let me raise this umbrella. Okay, that's an exaggeration. But... <laughs> Anyway, yeah, so that's uh, that's what happens. Allura shows up quite quickly uh, to, you know, basically address uh, Larmina and Hunk. And I love the the bit where Hunk says, you know, at this volume, you can hear subtle artistic touches, like someone shouting out your name in the middle of the song. And of course, it's really Allura really shouting out names. <laughs> so that was the teaser. 
Yes. So um, basically, Larmina talks about not wanting to do diplomatic stuff and royal stuff. And Larmina basically uh, dangles a carrot and says, hey, there's this galactic uh, music festival coming up. But since you don't like to do royal things, I guess you don't want to run it. Well, of course, she's all about that. So um, so she decides she wants to do it. And um, that's pretty much it for that scene. There was there was actually a line I was kind of surprised they said. What was that? When when Larmina was uh, talking to her, saying, "I, I want to serve Aris in combat." She said, "As a member of the Voltron Force, surely the people can appreciate the difference between kicking butt and kissing it." <laughs> I think that line got through because they didn't say kissing butt. Right. I think that pronoun is what got that line through the censors. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So I did rather awkwardly blow through the break between the teaser and act one, but Mark, you, you had helped to uh, notify when that happened. And that was uh, after Hunk's cool line uh, about mm -hmm. Allura. So now, so we're now in the middle of act one. I sort of uh, jumped into that. Um, so now we're, um, so now we're in this uh, garage and uh, a member of the band, the Zarconian Freaks, uh, is on the monitor, and uh, Larmina's watching it from, this is the schoolroom, right? Yeah, the cadet classroom in the Castle of Lions, yeah. and, um, and the song is called War and Peace, which is pretty fun. Mm -hmm. And uh, let's see, so, so she says the Zarconian Freaks are in, and, and Larmina's just super excited that her favorite bands are getting to, uh, to join the concert. And... Um, What's this band that Daniel mentions? Spillproof Lid. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? <laughs> and it sounds like a real band uh, these days, doesn't it? <laughs> you realize that a spillproof lid is really a sippy cup. <laughs> <laughs> so which sounds better? The sippy cups or the spillproof lids? <laughs> the sippy cup yeah yeah definitely if they all dress up like fuzzy teddy bears or something <laughs> yeah yeah but yeah that's fun and of course zarconian freaks is one of this show's very few direct references to zarkon which is fun um because he's he, he never really appears in the show other than in the form of a statue in an early episode that lotor uh, destroys without referencing who that character is right so that's pretty cool um Okay, so what's going on here? Oh, yes, Keith is a little less than enthusiastic about all this activity. He wants to know if this band has a G5 security clearance, which is typical Keith in this show. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, um, got anything to put out the, uh, put out the, uh, the fire there? Yeah, just get Keith on the, uh, on the case. <laughs> so he wants to do a security check on everyone. And, and you know, his concerns are valid. He's just a little bit of a, a stick in the mud about uh, about how he presents his case. <laughs> which so, and he, huh? which uh, he, he had a right to be like that because of what happened later. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think it's always funny in these episodes that the characters who, who kind of, uh, the characters who push for this sort of thing are always brushed aside. I mean, going to the very, very, what is it? One of the it's the very last episode of the show where even though you don't see the direct payoff when Keith is talking about beefing up like a, a national guard on the planet Eris 
and and you know how they're going to defend themselves on a go forward basis and and Laura's like oh no we don't need that everybody's at peace now and then of course what happens right after that earth is attacked so uh, spoilers <laughs> basically uh, with the voltron force anything that can go wrong will go wrong at some point that's right. You think they'd learn their lesson because they can never do anything fun without Lotor or Wade or anyone right. showing in any every series. That's, That's right. right. <laughs> yeah. So so what's going on here? Larmina mentions the one band that she would love to book but can't, Stereolactic, which we first heard of in the episode. The Hunkyard. That's right. The Hunkyard. Um, at, at the hunk yard between uh larmena and hunk so that's this is the first time we get to hear them for real and see them as such so um yeah so they're excited about it but nobody knows how to get in touch with them and of course keith comments about how difficult it'll be to run a background check on them and uh, larmena says she knows another huge fan well we all know who it is right hunk hunk yes so in the hangar of the castle of lions um she talks to uh, Hunk. Hunk has no idea uh, how to reach them. Uh, Pidge is a little uh, preoccupied with the uh, you know, with continuity from the previous episode. Uh, Black Lion's piece of the Nexus is is leaking data in an ancient code, which is interesting. He almost needs to create a new branch of science to understand it. That's pretty interesting. Um, I did think it's funny, and this is me as a computer nerd. Um, when you see the actual symbols on the screen, I, I'm thinking, well, if it's data, it's just ones and zeros. How do they know what these symbols are? <laughs> but, you know, that's just me. <laughs> and, and I already thought that there was a, a language-specific, you know, uh, science already out there. Yeah, but this is, of course, ancient. So, you know. Okay. <laughs> yeah so yeah uh, that's a bit of a thing and uh, hunk of course has no idea how to reach uh, stereolactic but another person a very unlikely person seems to know and that's pidge so when you guys do you remember i mean this is a long time ago but do you remember when this show first aired do you have it do you remember what you might have thought during this scene at all i i don't remember i have to say it's kind of you kind of think, is Paige part of this band and he's just eluding us? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and of course, this is before we learned that not only is he an amazing DJ and of course, a super genius and a member of the Voltron Force, we don't yet know that he's also a ninja scientist. <laughs> so that's another uh, another angle to his character. I fully uh, believe if the show had kept going, they would have kept revealing more things like professional skateboarder. Ah, there you go. Excellent at needlepoint. <laughs> so, so he's a tech ninja scientist. <laughs> He's a stereolactic guy, and uh, I'm sure there's a uh, hundred and one other things that we don't know about. But Larmina kind of cuts into him when she says, when he says that he might be able to contact them, and and she goes, "You, Pidge, you're like, they are like the coolest band in the entire quadrant, and you're you. No offense. <laughs> how is how is somebody not supposed to take offense to that?" And he just brushes it off like yeah. none taken. <laughs> that's because he he knows. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I just think that's that is pretty funny. Uh, and uh, everybody likes to make fun of the smart one. But uh, 
but yeah of course he's not he's not uh he's not uh, uh offended in any way by it um and of course immediately they respond to the message that he has supposedly sent and said that they're on board what what, what did he quote them as yo pidge we're in anything for you man peace stereolactic <laughs> yeah that's great and of course once once they all find out that he's able to get in touch with stereolactic they think he's the coolest person on the planet and they want his autograph vince yeah. is like sign mine to v-man <laughs> uh, that's great yeah. and what i love hunk's reply do you guys remember what it was i'd lift I... heavy stuff for you anytime cool little buddy yeah <laughs> there you go which is so funny. I, I keep thinking of, uh, uh, now this is going back a ways, to Voltron the Third Dimension, where it seemed like in every other episode, Hunk and, and Pidge were in some lab, and Hunk had this ginormous piece of machinery. It's like that big old slab of ribs that Fred Flintstone had back in the Flintstones. <laughs> yeah. you know, he's yeah. got some, some generic whatever it is, and he's just going back. I, I, you got to wonder, does he just go back and forth with that thing for fun? I don't know. But, right. <laughs> but yeah, that's good stuff. So uh, everything looks like it's going somewhere. The amphitheater has been set up. Um, a lot of people are showing up. Uh, it looks like Allura is super proud of Larmina and she's worried about Stereolactic showing up and is very eager to meet them. One of, uh, one of the cool things that they did around the venue uh -huh. is they put the five lions. Yeah. That was really cool. Yeah, that was a, a, and, and totally unnecessary. Right. Except, well, for plot reasons, it becomes very useful. Um, yes, for security make, reasons. That's right. But they do make very nice-looking display pieces in the meantime, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> so Alora lets her know that she's proud of her for pulling pulling off this great festival. Yeah. And then we have another Keith moment. And what's that all about? Finds uh, walking around with a thing slung to his hip. And he's like, what kind of creep brings a weapon to a concert for peace? And before he even gets a response, he takes out his sword, his Voltcom weapon, and just slashes it off. <laughs> and this guy is like, dude, that was my camera. And then Keith gives him a t-shirt. I, I don't know if that equals the value of the camera. <laughs> I don't know. Concert t-shirts are pretty pricey. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's that's so Keith in this show. Oh, uh, anyway, I, I I think it's kind of funny though. In this day and age, we all have phones that have cameras on them. Mm -hmm. You know, a camera is just one small part of a phone these days. It has many other things: calculators, flashlights, all these other kinds of things, right? Mm -hmm. But yet, he had a separate thing that was just a camera alone. Well, I'm just I, saying. I, well, you know. I, I was thinking of, uh, gosh, what was that? There was a, a handheld uh, camcorder. I can't remember what that, it was called a flip. And this is in the early 2010s. Mm -hmm. And the smart smartphones were just becoming ubiquitous with all the cameras and the cam, the video and all that stuff. But still those things were very popular for a very short period of time. So uh, maybe in the far future, there will still be a market. I'm kind of doubting it though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we had talked about that when we did the episode review uh, where it was the Predator Robeast and, and Larmino had this, this camera that she was going to have them 
go out on their 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 own vehicles that they had made. Yeah, the DigiPix. Yes. Right, the DigiPix. That's what it was. Yep. Mm -hmm. So we had talked about that previously. Yeah, it's but, fun how these shows are always a product of their time, and and, and that's just the way life is. Yeah. Um, but uh, fun stuff, and yep. it's kind of interesting that the whole Minority Report thing going on in Voltron Four, first with all the all the touchless uh, interfaces that people can slide around and move, isn't really done to that extent. Even just Voltron Legendary Defender, it's like it's like they they went. I mean, they they had some of that but they still had a lot of traditional display screens and things of that sort. So it's almost like the needle went way into Minority Report and Voltron Force, and they dialed it back a bit for Legendary Defender. Okay, but there's there's going to be another part of the hologram stuff that comes later. Mm -hmm. uh, remind me to talk about, you know, because this this is something, you know, the, the Voltron Force has been able to touch these holograms and everything, right? Mm -hmm. to, to get things done. Mm -hmm. And even but, the seating in the Castle of Lions control room is sometimes glowing as if it's holographic. Right. Yeah. But we're going to see something else that the holograms do that we've never seen before. Yeah. So yep. let's let's go ahead. Let's keep that in the back of backs of our minds. Yes. So um, what happens here? Larmina was asking Pidge about stereolactic and Pidge says they're not here yet. And then Larmina's getting antsy and Alora reminds her that today's about peace and everything, so cool it. <laughs> yeah, there won't be a lot of peace, though, if a lot of fans don't get to see their favorite bands. We all know how that can be. Uh, <laughs> but then but, but then Daniel and Vince have something to show the team. Yes, this would have been a perfect moment for Keith to say, I told you so, but he doesn't. Uh, so uh, they get pulled back into a, a video area, and uh, Daniel's been watching... Uh, why he's watching them right now of all times is kind of interesting, but they're reviewing the uh, the little intro videos that each of the bands had submitted, and they find uh, a little bit of a like a one second clip in a, uh, a video from the Venus Flytraps, also a great name, and um, the video cuts out for a second, and I get I'm assuming that they've that they've that it was compressed. Uh, time compressed because it plays out a lot longer than a second. It's a video from our good old friend King Lotor. Uh, can I can I mention something real quick though? The Venus flytraps that has to be a WKRP in Cincinnati reference. I hope so. Yeah, I mean it has to be. I, you know, I hadn't the, thought of it, but yeah. The writer using a reference from WKRP that that would have been great because that was yes. one of that was one of the DJs from WKRP. Yeah, that's a great, great point. I had not thought of that. In Cincinnati. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good deal. So I, I just noted that because uh, I like, I usually pick up on some of that stuff, but I'm glad you, you noticed that, Mark. Um, so uh, Lotor is basically talking about how pathetic everyone is because everyone's talking about peace and unity. And uh, Lotor basically says, you know, enjoy the show. Welcome to the era of chaos enjoy the show and now everyone's worried that uh there's someone in the crowd who's probably a drool agent because uh they tampered with the video um very recently so um i'm not sure why they're watching the videos now but regardless they've noticed the problem and it's a big one so that's act one so yeah uh, the the whole thing here is to make it as foreboding as possible they they 
open the they open the curtain and they say somebody out there is a drool agent, right? Mm -hmm. So they're still only thinking this is one person, right? Yeah. All right, but the the video that they showed, we get to see it for that little bit, but then when we come back from the commercial break, going into Act Two, they start with showing the video again. And the dialogue is different when we get right back. now in the script. They basically show all the dialogue on the video, mm -hmm. but some of it they didn't even use in the show. Right. Yeah. So thanks to World Events Productions, we have access to the fifth draft script with voiceover edits in it. So it, it should be as close to final as, as there probably was. Uh, but it, there are still some minor changes like this one. But only on Let's Voltron, the official Voltron podcast, can you hear the entire video. <laughs> That's right. So he starts off with saying, how pathetic you are gathered to usher in peace and unity, all a fallacy. Welcome to the error of chaos. To usher it in, I shall turn your festival into a mad circus of Hagarium. You shall witness its astonishing powers firsthand before you perish. Enjoy the show. <laughs> so that's the entire thing. Mm -hmm. The thing that you heard first was up until Welcome to the Era of Chaos, and then he goes right to enjoy the show. Mm -hmm. Now, when you come back into Act Two, he says, I shall turn your festival into a mad circus of Agarium. Enjoy the show. Right. So yes, apparently Parish is not uh, is not far enough removed from die <laughs> to be acceptable. Right. Um, you know, I keep thinking of the old eighty in the eighties. You'll you know, face oblivion, meet your doom, and all that other stuff. Um, I guess Parish is a little too close to, to the chin or something. Isn't that uh, funny because in the first uh, one of the first episodes, Vince actually says the word death. Like he talks about the simulator and he's simulators, and he's like all the fun of flying without the death. That's yep. true. Good point. <laughs> so now is the time for Keith to be Keith, but he doesn't say, I told you so. He says, we got to cancel the show. Um, and Larmina doesn't want to do that. Yep. Allura agrees. She doesn't want Lotor to win symbolically. Uh, and Lance says, yeah, we'll just have to find this drill agent. And um Hunk says that Pidge is probably scanning for traces of Hagarium. Uh, and Lormina says, oh, no, no, he's looking for stereolactic, uh, which is fun. And so everybody splits up to go try to look for suspicious people. Right. So, so yeah. So Lormina actually thinks that this, this drool agent might be the one person because Pidge admitted that stereolactic, right? Mm-hmm isn't a full band it's just one person dj prom right so after she hears that then he says that the rest of the band is made up of basically holographic images and she goes wait a minute you mean to tell me that my favorite band is based on a cartoon <laughs> Oh, they're going meta. Right, exactly. <laughs> and uh, and... Uh, Pidge's Pidge response, does anybody want to do the honors? Hey, he's as real as I am and 
quite red, I might add. <laughs> yeah. So a cartoon is as real as he is. And of course, what is the show? A cartoon. It's very awesome. Right. <laughs> but so. um, as, as Lorena is telling uh, Daniel that they have to go find him, and Daniel says, well, shouldn't we be looking for the drool agent? And she says, I'm thinking it might be the same person. Yeah, that's quite a conclusion to jump to, isn't it? I mean, it's convenient in a twenty in a you know twenty three minute episode, but um, yeah, that's you gotta suspect somebody and be thrown off the trail, um, and this is a convenient way to do that. But it, it seems to be a bit of a leap in logic, I think, especially as as enthusiastic as she is about the band to go from that to a spy, <laughs> right? I don't know. Yeah, but it 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 provides a lot of drama because there's going to be a part that we find out. It's not as dramatic as we thought it was. Right. Yeah. And that, that works really well. Yeah. Um, so everyone's out searching for stuff. And I love that uh, Keith makes a comment that his earplugs are holding. <laughs> so he doesn't have to hear this awful, awful music. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, Lance is up in the sound booth and he complains to the sound guy that, uh, you know, it doesn't quite sound, it doesn't sound good enough, basically. Needs um, more hi-hat. Yeah. Now I am not a sound person. I don't know what hi hat means. That's that's the the symbol thing. Oh, is that what that is? Okay. That's the symbol that comes together when you when you press the pedal. Okay, gotcha. Thanks for the uh, clarification there. So uh, the sound guy says, "Do I tell you how to police a perimeter, dude?" <laughs> Which is fun. I love that. Um, Hunk can't find anything happening in the mosh pit except for uh, the ladies who seem to be interested in him, which is which is nice for Hunk. Um, and now the cadets are out looking looking for someone suspicious too, and because the cadets are always good at finding uh, finding things, uh, they wind up finding DJ Prong. So they actually see him, right? They do, and they start going after him, and and. As as soon as they call out his name, he runs the other way, and Vince didn't expect that reaction. Mm -mm. He's reclusive, but he certainly wouldn't run away if you called him out by name. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so, uh, yeah. So they wind up ultimately. Uh, he winds up hiding in a dumpster, right? Is that basically uh, the chase scene that ensues? What I like about that is we yeah. haven't gotten to episode sixteen where it's revealed that. Um, that Pidge is a ninja, but in this, we watch him run, and he's dodging and jumping over things that even Larmina is having trouble getting over, so I like to think of that as some nice possible foreshadowing. That yeah. is a great point. Yeah, another thing that happens before they eventually get to the end of this chase scene is, is that Daniel thinks he's on top of him, and then all of a sudden, he reaches back, presses a button, and all of a sudden, uh, the Voltcoms go inactive. Yeah. How does That's... that happen? Hmm. And that that really convinces Daniel that this has to be a drool agent. Right. And so um, they so eventually he... uh, they eventually catch him uh, in a, in a bunch of garbage. Yep. And um, he you know he he basically says and. And his electronic voice, his flanged voice, sounding almost like Soundwave from the original Transformers cartoon. 
Uh, now you force me to do this. He pops off his Tron Legacy helmet. And, and who is it? It's Pidge. Uh, he basically pressed a button again and his, his helmet disappeared. Yeah, okay. Armina said, you better hope that thing can vaporize us. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So they find out it, it's Pidge and Daniel says, my brain actually hurts. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, that's a great Daniel line too, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and so Pidge basically explains that uh, he, he just wants to keep his true identity secret. Uh, he wants to avoid uh, the, the freakiness of fame um, and doesn't want Stereolactic to interfere with his main duty, which is being a member of the Voltron Force. Right. And it is interesting that he has this concern about it. I would argue that this is foreshadowing too, although it seems to lean in the opposite direction of the decision he was going to make later in the series. He knows how to prioritize conflicting, you know, things. He knows about conflicts of interest or, you know, sometimes you got to make a tough choice between different things. And as of now, he's choosing the Voltron Force over uh, Stereolactic. Right. And so, yeah. So then they, so now at this point, they have no idea who the drool agent is. Um, and in the meantime, uh, DJ Prong goes on video, goes out on stage and demonstrates to the universe. This was a surprise to Larmina, but now it's revealed to absolutely everyone at the concert that the other members of Stereolactic can appear out of thin air. Maybe they're holograms. Maybe they're not. Maybe it's just a visual effect in the, in the minds of the, the, the audience, uh, but that's fun. So well, this is this is the first time they ever performed live. That's true. So I, I gotta ask, um, what do you guys think of the music choices for these different bands? Since we're now going to hear Stereolactic, you know, sci-fi often struggles, live action, animated, with showing any kind of music that isn't classical music. So what are your thoughts about the music in this show? Okay, I'm going to go back and I'm going to reference Buck Rogers. Yes, I was going to say the same thing. Okay, because there was an episode in Buck Rogers, and that was an episode where it was a band, and they were playing some really fancy, you know, sci-fi instruments, right? And it was like a electronic dance music, okay? Mm -hmm. And the, the dancers who were dancing to it were using some kind of weird tubing type of stuff that they yeah they're like the, like the tube lights that people like to put in their rooms to decorate right. around the ceiling yeah. yeah yeah so i mean they were the galaxy's favorite band and they played this you know type of dance music that was very electronic and and very danceable but uh that was the the popular music of the time Whereas in our day and age, we have many different genres of music. And it, it even gets mentioned earlier in the, in the episode here how uh, Alora mentioned to Larmina that it was going to have all kinds and styles of genres of music. Mm -hmm. But all these bands seem to play electronic dance music. Right. So uh, I, I don't know if, if you know, sci-fi you know, just catches on to that, that maybe that is the, the music of the future. Maybe. Do you have any thoughts on this, Natalie? 
I mean, yeah, that probably sounds about right. We hear earlier that uh, all genres of music that matter. So that's what Alora said is uh, all genres of music that matter. So maybe maybe they're hitting out on, on a couple genres. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, another example, Mark, in addition to Buck Rogers, is the original Battlestar Galactica very an episode right after the pilot or maybe it was in the, the the lengthy first episode they had this band that that was like an alien version it almost looked like diana ross and the supremes but they had i think they had four eyes so they had these little animatronic eyes above the real eyes of the actors and of course they had the the the, the supremes kind of dresses and all that and i i always get the feeling every time any sci-fi show tries to do anything other than classical music something you that that is you know timeless in air quotes uh it, it always seems to just do today's music with a slight twist um so <laughs> it's, it's funny but but i i do think the music's catchy in this show and 10 years 11 years later it still sounds pretty good and and i think it also may have to do with instruments in the future because a lot of you know future instruments might be electronic based and not something that you're you're putting together with wooden strings you know what i mean yeah yeah so all the old traditional instruments get replaced by all these electronic sounds and everything that you can make do anything yeah i i guess that's possible i i do hope that there are more uh more genres than uh or maybe what we're hearing because our ear is so used to what we call genres Maybe the distinction between these individual bands in the ears of the people of the future is a lot more distinct than what we can hear with our own ears today. There you go. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, it's like, you know, 50 words for ice if you live near the poles, you know, that kind of thing. Um, okay. So, um, yeah. So, stereolactics on stage. And uh, one thing DJ Prong says to the crowd is war is waste, peace is progress. The future is now stereolactic. <laughs> so that's fun. And uh, now we're about to find out who the drool agent is because we go to the sound booth again. And Lance now tells the sound guy to boost the bass. And the sound guy chooses to boost Lance instead. <laughs> right out the window. Yeah. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, at least he doesn't fall as far as he did in the previous episode <laughs> when they fell out of Voltron or were ejected out of Voltron um yes so yeah um they, they that happens and uh, so the sound that? guy the sound guy basically it pulls out as a high-tech what they call injector jams it into the jack in the soundboard and it turns out to be hagarium that hagarium is some really really plastic stuff that can do all sorts of things with it <laughs> so here, here's the thing though the 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 drool agent looks like somebody from aris yeah so what do you guys think about that he, I, I know he, he doesn't look like the typical drool right and and you know sometimes the original series uh there'd be references to uh in the vehicle voltron shows to our spies tell us that you know the the drools of that show talk about spies on the explorer um and and it, you know presumably they look like everyone else on the ship um what do you think about a backstory for this character i, I mean speculative you know what, what's what do you think 
So well, you... I know in um, the episode Roots of Evil, uh, Mayhawk and Lotor talk at the end of it, and Lotor goes, "What say your spies on Eris?" And Lo- Mayhawk is like, "My creation did not live up to my expectations." So I mean, mm. we we do get confirmation that there are spies on Eris. Mm. So you know, it is implied indirectly that. Um, you know, the, the past wars, which Allura would call the Zarconian Wars, um, later in the show, I think it was in Roots of Evil, that very episode, um, those large tunnels where people would hide. They don't talk about all of the backstory of what happened, but there's a little, there's enough to suggest that at least the broad strokes of the original series could be thought of as a backstory for Voltron Force. And, and given the issues in that show that show touches on them very lightly too but the issues of uh, uh people of eris being captives and slaves of people on planet doom um it does make you wonder if there are some sympathizers or people who are doing nefarious things to to win the freedom of their loved ones and things like that um that certainly happened in the original show sometimes so maybe that's going on we don't really learn anything about these spies though so uh- you have to wonder this this whole plan that they had uh to you know ruin this festival and show you know the people of Eris and the people of the galaxy that lotor is the one in control but this guy he, what's his motivation what is he getting out of it what did what did mayhawks and lotor promise him in order for him to do this i have an idea what Lotor's telling this guy if you disrupt this concert we will give you old school uh, wood and uh, string instruments and you can start your own old school country western band what do you think <laughs> it'll be like a country jamboree huh <laughs> yes like the country bears jamboree yes yeah <laughs> oh my goodness yes so maybe that's it who knows um and I so, don't know <laughs> yeah so pidge now notices um that there's hagarium going on and i'm trying to remember what does he do here oh his equipment is beginning to uh to sparkle and have that wonderful purple glow that we've come to know and, and fear um and so hagarium is now beginning to take over some of the equipment and pidge very interestingly as the stage begins to tr- to reconfigure the helmet comes off and uh, so his secret is revealed to everyone. However, the people in the crowd think it's all part of the show. Yeah, he's he's thrown off the stage. Yeah. But Daniel and Armina fall to the stage and get swallowed up by this thing as it's transforming. Yeah. So they're now stuck that, inside of it. Now, this is quite a thing. Um, the row beast. So it's an amphitheater that transforms into a row beast. And I, so going back... Uh, this reminds me a little bit of uh, Transformers from the 80s. Mm-hmm. There, in the episodes that immediately followed Transformers the movie in 1986, there was a five-part show called The Five Faces of Darkness, and it showed the creation of Trypticon. And that was this, uh, that was the Decepticon city, and it transformed into a dinosaur. Well, and that was a, a big toy, of course, and you know, all that. But but the city mode was very spacey looking and all that as a toy and usually in the cartoon. But in the show, we see its builders converting a real human city. It transforms into the dinosaur. 
And then from that point on, every time it transforms again, it looks like the, the city from the toys. So I remember watching that thinking, are you serious? A, a city, that city turns into that thing? Um, there's a little bit of a stretch here. However, there are enough pieces and parts of the amphitheater on the finished Robies that it, it, it does, it works out pretty well, actually. I think it works remarkably well. Um, okay. I have to do a lot of uh, disappearing pieces and appearing new pieces. You know how uh, the Syncline Beast is formed in, in Legendary Defender and how they transform the Atlas. And you literally see parts of the vehicles vanish and new parts appear in their place to make, to kind of, you know, let you accept the fact that something that looks like a brick now looks like a basketball. You know what I mean? That kind right. of thing. Um, they didn't have to do a lot of that kind of cheating here, which, which works really well. Okay. Um, so yeah, so now you have a Row Beast. And I love Keith's line. Larmina didn't plan this. No. <laughs> and Lance has a great line. What what's what is his response? He, he said the sound guy's the drool agent. I should have known. He had no ear. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, yeah. So they're stuck. Uh, so Vincent, Daniel, and uh, and Larmina, they're they're who knows where they're at. Daniel and Larmina are trapped inside. Vince is stuck Vince in is. the crowd. Yeah, but yeah, that's right. Uh, so now they're. And, and so now Keith has a Batman moment to the lions. <laughs> to the How lions convenient here. that they were there. Yes, very convenient. Um, I, I, I love some of those early uh, Defender of the Universe episodes where the characters can't use their little, their uh, zip lines and, and shuttles to get to the dens and they have to run on foot sometimes. That could have been a really fun bit here, but uh, I think it would have majorly slowed down the action. Yeah. So here's here's a key thing though. He says that we got to form Voltron to the Lions, right? Mm -hmm. They form Voltron without going through the whole, you know, the whole transformation process that yeah, we well, normally we don't see. see it. We don't see it. It's it's like the first episode where Daniel's looking up at the sky, and he sees the lions. It looks like they're having a five a five way collision. <laughs> and then they cut to the stock sequence of the lions coming together and we could just assume you know we're not listening to them but they're probably going through the whole techno babble rigmarole um, but but it makes it so much better when they form voltron again later spoilers yes <laughs> <laughs> yes so they form voltron and uh the crowd is really loving it so this is quite a show for them uh although a lot of them are are beginning to run away as well um and Keith's saying, you know, we got to be careful because Daniel and Armin are inside that thing. I, I have to wonder what careful means when you're fighting a Robies that has two of your friends inside. But, um, you know, form blazing letter opener. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, you kind of have to know where they are in that thing in order to, to know where to hit it. Yeah, it's like, hunk, should we poke it? <laughs> um, I don't know. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so then the row beast begins to attack in, in a very unique way. The script describes this as, well, and the, and the episode, Pidge is about to describe it here as sonic Hagarium. So Hagarium sound waves, interesting. Um, yeah, that's some very versatile stuff. <laughs> and so- The um, duct tape of evil. Yes, that's right. <laughs> I love that. So, <laughs> so, it, so it hits Voltron and what happens? um voltron splits into the five lions right yes not with that sound though it's a more exciting sound uh, <laughs> and that's the end of act two yep 
All right, so we're back at the amphitheater and the row beast is now above the crowd as they're starting to run. And Vince is trying to avoid, uh, you know, trying to avoid getting uh, hit by the row beast or uh, stomped on by people. And um, Keith now says, hey, let's do this. This gives us another try. And now the now you get the full on preamble and everything else. With and, the uh, old music. Oh, yeah. So which we first heard in this show in the previous episode. Right. Um, I did have a, a conversation, a brief exchange with a fellow old school Voltron fan just today uh, on Facebook, where I love, love hearing the old theme in this show. Um, what do you guys think of it? Do you prefer the original theme they used in, in the earlier episodes or this one? I think this one has a little bit more dramatic flair. Yeah. Do you agree, Natalie? Yeah. 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 Um, I agree as well. I do. I like the original music and I almost feel bad for the composer because it sounds good, but it does not have the punch that the eighties version has. And of course, um, you know, I think there's some bias in all three of us um, that, you know, we've heard that we've heard it before and it, and it's just awesome. I do wonder what it would sound like if they took the actual Voltron force theme with, that we hear in the earlier episodes and gave it more punch. Um, I think that that would be a really cool alternative too, but, uh, mm -hmm. you know, at not, Volcon, not, not um, didn't the, um, I can't, is it Bob? Who's the son or was it Ted? Who's the son? Uh, Bob, Bob. Is the son. Yeah. Bob, I remember him saying, talking about his father, how he didn't like it. And the composer kept going back and trying to give it more punch. And eventually he just said, just, just swap in the old thing. And so they did. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting, you know, knowing that theme as well as we do that, you know, they had to trim it and tuck it here in places to make it fit the stock animation that we see in the show. Cause it's not like they changed the, the editing of that. Um, but when you know the original theme really, really well, as I think all, all of us do here, um, it, 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 even to the end of the series, it always, at the end, they do a little bit of a transition to the, the, the finale, I guess. And it always feels a little too abrupt to me because we all know how it sounded originally, um, but still great to hear. So Voltron's there and um, Daniel and Larmina realize they're inside a Rovist and uh, they see on a monitor, they see Voltron and they see Voltron forming the blazing sword. And Larmina says what uh, we're probably all thinking, this is going to be weird. Yeah, I'm going to get attacked by Blazing Sword, by Voltron. What's going on here? <laughs> yeah, so uh, it looks like uh, Hunk wants to try to cut the speaker wiring. So, you know, Hagarium, as amazingly versatile as it is, might be uh, susceptible to uh, being nullified by cutting the speaker wires. But in any case, the Robies fires another Hagarium burst at the sword, Voltron kind of gets blasted back a little bit and Keith says to hold steady. And something strange happens. Hagarium, something strange in your neighborhood. Uh, Hagarium leeches into Voltron and uh, Pidge uh, guesses that it's due to the hole in uh, Black's piece of the, of the Nexus. Um, he has an idea. He wants to try something, but they need Vince. And of course, Vince is still in the crowd. So uh, back inside the Row Beast, uh, they find the drool agent and they can't call the Voltron Force because their Volt comms are shut down by the, by the uh, Hagarian. 
And I do think it's interesting that Larmina says, looks like I won't be fighting my way out of this one, but she doesn't need a stick to fight. So I'm not sure what she quite means by that. But um, And she says she can't fight, but she can lead her people or pitches at least. Yeah. So, that, yeah. so she's talking about stereolactics people, right? Yeah, we haven't been intro introduced to Pidge's people back on Balto yet. So yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, but yeah, so now we're cutting back to Vince and uh, he's worried about get getting crushed. But then uh, Pidge calls out, we got you, buddy. And he gets scooped up in the mouth of Green Lion, Voltron's left hand. And so uh, Vince says, about time you yanked me. <laughs> it's getting nasty down there. And then uh, at that point, Pidge reveals his amazing new idea, which is to form Green Center. Yes. And so it happens. What do you think about the buildup to this? Okay, so this was pretty cool because, um, of course, when he said, I need Vince, that's the only way they're going to form Green Center because he's got to do his little stuff. Yeah, he unlocks <laughs> the new configurations and all that stuff. Yeah. Right. So yep. I, I, I love just the line, we're going green. Yes. It's, yep. it's, it's wonderful. Yeah, and they use that in dark blue at the end as well when they talked about Voltron going green with the solar panels and uh, Pidge looks up at the green line and says, not yet. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so this is pretty cool. I, I like the way Voltron, at, right before the change happens, he, he sort of looks down at himself. There's like this flare up of energy like golden energy coming out of voltron and he's kind of looking down at himself like what the <laughs> and then uh the, the one thing that's a little interesting is that typically when we see a change in voltron's configurations you know we, we see some kind of shots of the lions breaking apart coming together this one is punctuated more by the way voltron's head forms in this in this show and it's really in the moment, you don't, I didn't really think about it in the moment, but it is a little bit bizarre watching it later. Voltron's head pops up out of Voltron's body. Um, it's not like the, the green lion head pivots downward and opens its mouth. Voltron, the green lion head just seems to kind of pop up and open. And then we see Voltron's face with the, the, the mask over its mouth and all that. Um, so that's kind of, kind of weird, but it's, it's a nice grand reveal. It doesn't make sense but dramatically it works. And this is also the first time that uh, the, the Voltron has been named by one of the Voltron Force members. Yeah. Because- Tech Ninja Voltron. Right. That's right. Pidge calls it a Tech Ninja Voltron, whereas- And we haven't learned that he's Ninja yet. We still haven't gotten to episode 16. Right. So even old school Voltron fans wouldn't know that. So this is a tip of the hat to something from the past, but not Defender of the Universe, but actually Beast King Go Lion, where, where uh, um, what's he called? What's his nickname? They call him Shorty, I think. Hiroshi. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, Suzuishi, he's got the, yeah, I think they call him Shorty is his nickname. But yeah, he, he, he jokes that he's from a family of ninjas. Um, and so there's the ninja connection if there is one. Uh, but yeah, this is a, a nice tip of the hat all the way back to Beast King Goliath. I kind of thought it was a little reminiscent of uh, Stealth Voltron from uh, Third Dimension. Mm. That's true too. 
and 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 actually just very recently i rewatched that first appearance of stealth voltron and and i and i remain convinced that uh, you could make a drinking game out of the anytime they say the word stealth <laughs> take a sip <laughs> it's pretty funny so uh, yeah. so they as they're forming it he he calls it tech ninja voltron but then he says please be uh and then vince calls it out shield as the shield is formed yes and they do give it a name in a, in a later episode they call it the boomerang shield um and this is actually a very interesting uh uh moment because there's a bit of a uh, of a confusion from going all the way back to go lion and lasting into voltron defender of the universe between the show and the merchandise in the show voltron refer they were they refer to the voltron's weapon is referred to as the spinning laser blade in the original show and in beast king go lion it's called the spin cutter and it's used always as a bladed throwing disc and you know he, he throws it and it's got the blades it does its thing and the merchandise almost always describes it as a shield so going yeah. back to mat matchbox and other things and the toy always holds it as a shield um so it's interesting that they've taken both concepts and fused them into this one weapon pidge does actually call it a boomerang shield after it does the boomerang part Okay, in this very episode. Okay, yes. my apologies. Yeah, he yeah. says, let's see how this record spins right before he launches it. Yeah, right. but yeah. as it comes back, he says, boomerang shield, sweet. That's right. That's right. So, um, yeah, so it's interesting that they they use, they basically have, have, have brought back the spinning laser blade, but given it both functions, that it, the anime function and the toy function, and uh, put it into one weapon, which is pretty cool. So, um, yes, the shield does really good stuff. It deflects the sonic agarium, and it's also usable as a weapon. Um, so something happens here as they're fighting. The Roby starts to kind of jerk around like there's something going wrong, like maybe it has indigestion or something. And uh, it turns out that, you know, Daniel and Armina are, they're basically uh, messing up the connection between that agarium barrel or injector or whatever it is. And uh, the Robies gets uh, gets disrupted a little bit. Well, this is this is the part we need to talk about again because yeah. we're talking about holograms again. Yes. So when she said, "I'm going to use Pidge's people," she means the rest of the band Stereolactic. So DJ Prong had his own, you know, holographic band members. She brings all three of those band members up and they climb up to where the, the, the sound guy was and they actually start messing with things. And the sound guy tries to punch them, but he can't because they're holograms. But then they can touch other things. Mm -hmm. And one of the things is that Hagarium thing that's, that's jammed into the, the soundboard. They take it out. And that's what really messes up the robot. So the, the Robies just is unable to, to do anything at that point. But then it eventually uh, the, the, the Voltron force tells them to get out of there. So they stop messing with it and the sound guy puts it back in. Mm -hmm. But then this time he turns it all the way up and it, and it sends a supersonic 
Hegarian blast at them. Right. And so, yeah. And it, so is this the what you wanted to talk about, about the capability that- Yeah, the, before? the fact that, that the holograms could, could actually touch other things and do other things, but then when somebody tried to hit them, they're, they're still holograms. Immediately, pro a couple seconds after the sound booth guy tries to punch with the holograms, the hologram turns around and punches him. Which yeah. Interesting. And this so, is a foreshadowing a to uh, this guy a little bit later. <laughs> so the idea that they could touch holographic things and it would be a physical thing that they could touch or sit on. And now those things are coming to life and actually doing things that people can do. Yeah. Which is something we haven't seen before. Yeah, uh, it, it does make you wonder, you know, in sci-fi, it's very common for people to sit in a control panel at a cockpit or control panel for the very first time, having no familiarity with the instrumentation and just know how to use it. Um, but in this case, it makes me wonder what is Larmina actually doing to manipulate these characters, these, these stereolactic people and have them do whatever it is that they're doing. I mean, if you've never done it before. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty, pretty neat. It's like, okay, kick him now, punch him now, turn immaterial now become solid. You know, I mean, what is she just thinking her way through this? What's going yeah. on? It's like yeah. Luke Skywalker when he was able to project his own body in, in front of Kylo Ren and then have a, a physical fight with Kylo Ren. But then at one point, he just lets himself be immaterial again and, and Kylo Ren goes right through him. Yeah. Yes, yes. You had to bring back that memory. <laughs> Sorry. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But um, yeah, you're right. And, and um, yeah, so it's, it's very interesting to think, to think about those ramifications. And, and uh, um, I, I kind of like this development. And I, I don't, I don't want to dwell on it too much, but but I'm reminded a little bit of Star Trek's holodeck that they introduced in the next generation. But in that case, they were almost always solid. Then, I mean, because they were trying to simulate an alter, some kind of a fantasy or a, a, a different reality. And so they were trying to simulate real people and real objects. So they would, it makes sense that they would be solid most of the in, time. Uh, in Flashform Go, we do see um, they have a Lotor sim that Lance fights and they can actually touch that and be hit by it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. It's, it is interesting that this show takes the next generation concept to the next level and goes from the always solid all the time to solid when it's convenient, light only when it's not, which is kind of cool. And the 30th anniversary book, um, Mark, you might be familiar with that. <laughs> they actually talk about the weapons of the lions. Hey, there it is. Um, the the uh, Voltron from days of long ago, a 30th anniversary celebration. They talk about the lion technology and, you know, dating back to the original show, this show doesn't have it so much, but in the original show, weapons would very often just appear on the lions, like uh, the rotor missile launcher on yellow lion's shoulder, for example. Um, and this book tries to explain that by suggesting that they're using some kind of solid holographic technology. Um, the book sort of takes the slant that Defender of the Universe and Voltron Force are a shared, a definitely shared continuity. Um, you know, think of that what you will. That's that's up to each of us to figure out for ourselves. But um, it is an interesting way to kind of explain it. And it sort of does bridge what we see in this show, I think. 
So you look at it, Mark? I was just looking at some of the weapons capabilities of Green Lion. Okay. And it turns out that uh, it had a 3D digital camouflage stealth package and it had a sonic blaster as well okay. as the boom, boomerang shield is mentioned here as well. Huh. So, you know, when, when Voltron uh, is formed. I, I think I think I, I take some of the weapons listed in, in the book as uh, with a bit of a grain of salt, uh, but those are cool concepts. And of course, the whole stealth thing, uh, they, they had that in the third dimension for all the lions and uh, the green line, of course, and legendary defender had the clucking device, too. So, yes, that's cool stuff. I do believe we see the sonic blast in uh, the next episode, actually, when Pidge tries to drive Black Lion out of a tree. Mm -hmm. oh good call <laughs> was that the th was that the thing that was, so so i don't remember off the top of my head i haven't watched the episode in a while was it the is it the cannon on the lion's back that shoots the sonic uh blast okay all right so it's good that that uh, i wonder if that's a multi-purpose cannon or if that's just a sonic weapon who knows we can pretend what we want i guess um yeah so now K pidge says <laughs> probably my favorite line because it's just so silly it sounds silly i think it's time for me to kick out the jams let's see how this record spins and so this is just, you had already mentioned some of this mark um they're fighting and they throw the shield and it cuts the row beast in half at the waist and uh, it's it's good that daniel and larmina have uh, have managed to crawl down low enough in the row beast that uh, it didn't even uh, nick their hairdos so uh, they're safe and yeah, it's, it's it's still weird that they're inside that thing and they're cutting it in half. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, all of a sudden you see Pidge saying, where are Larmina and Daniel? And then Larmina, you only hear her voice in the beginning. Mm -hmm. She says, let's hear it for Voltron Force. And then they reveal Larmina on the stage at Pidge's deck, and she says, thanks to them, peace will win out over evil and war. Galaxy Alliance, time for peace, love, and rock and roll. And as she's doing that, she goes like this, and, and all these things light up. And then the, the song Gravitationally Challenged kicks in, mm -hmm. and the crowd's dancing wildly again. And then from Blue Lion, Alora says, you may be a royal pain, but you are definitely a royal at heart. Way to lead, Larmino, way to lead. And then Pitch says, girl, you're putting DJ Prong to shame. And then Voltron actually dances a little bit. And Keith says, Pitch, are we seriously doing the robot? <laughs> That's fantastic. I think Voltron needs to dance more. Yeah. Yeah. It does a really good robot. It's like it was built for that sort of thing, to be a robot. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the end of the show. Um, yeah. But so, here's the thing. that We never find out what happens to the sound guy that was the drool agent. That's true. Maybe he got smashed when the Robies that had been bisected transforms back into a full amphitheater. I, I don't know. It's... <laughs> we don't see that happen, but that it just is still there. It just seems like to me they should have really gone after the guy completely that was causing the whole thing. Yeah. And, and 
I mean, they already proved that if they took the Hegarian thing off of it, the, the robot couldn't do much. You know, That's so true. so why did you have to cut the whole thing in half? Just stop the guy who's doing it. You got to have the action. It's not fun. <laughs> That's true. Well, here's the we thing. We got to show what, what Green Center can do. That's true. <laughs> well, maybe maybe they were just hoping that after everyone else leaves, if the spy is not from Eris, the spy will leave. If the spy is from Eris, then given how low the population of the planet seems to be in almost every single episode, it's like there, there are a half dozen people in the castle, you know, give or take, and no one else anywhere unless the plot requires it. Maybe the spy would be one of the only other people on the entire planet. And they could just use Pidge's sensors to find him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but wouldn't wouldn't that little Hagarium cell that he was holding, wouldn't that have set off the alarms that Pidge had set for Hagarium? But this is Sonic Hagarium. Ah, uh, could be a <laughs> could be a variant. Yes, it's Sonic Hagarium in a in a Guinness barrel or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah like Omicron. There we go. <laughs> Oh, jeez. Oh, yes, yes. So, uh, Natalie, what do you think about the episode? Very fun episode. I remember at VoltCon, um, uh, Bob Coppler talking about how he wanted this to be fun. This was their vision for the show to be fun. And I think this definitely nailed it. Yeah. Completely agree. Mark, what about you? Well, I, I was seeing what was happening when the, the castle was shaking at the very beginning of the episode mm -hmm. and all that base that they were using and everything. I would have liked to have seen more of seeing what what Hunk and Larmina could come with come up with as a band. That's and, true. And I was kind of hoping that if there was enough time at the end that maybe they, they'd see if they could even stand up to Stereolactic and Pidge. You know what mm, I mean? Battle of the bands. Nice. Right. <laughs> but that never happened. There wasn't enough time. Hmm. You know, Lotor looks like he's from a hair band. Maybe in the second season. <laughs> they could have had another concert. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it, oh, it, second season. Oh, anyway. It'd be like uh, when the devil went down to Georgia, you know, and they did that little uh, fiddle playoff. Mm -hmm. I love it. Love it. I wonder what kind of music Lotor actually likes. Hmm. It couldn't be death metal. It'd have to be resurrection metal. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, he's been, he's been resurrected so many times. He has. It's like uh, it's like Kenny from South Park. But uh, anyway. <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, yeah, so fun episode. Do we have any Voltron news we want to share before we uh, wrap up? I know there's a new uh, item in the Voltron store. Actually, a couple things. Pajama pants, which I think we talked about in the last podcast. Right. And uh, I don't have this with me because it's new and not yet released. Um, but as a follow-on to the Super 7 reaction figure of Voltron and its, and its successor, the metallic version of the same figure, there's a third release coming out tomorrow or this it's up for pre-order this week. By the time the podcast was released, it will be available for sale. Uh, presumably um, it is a, a seemingly a repackaging of the metal figure and they've redesigned the blister card with the Shogun figures uh, logo. 
which uh, harkens back to the 1970s Shogun Warriors toys that Mattel sold. And uh, Toynami subsequently uh, purchased the, uh, the, uh, the logo and the rights and all that to that, that name. And they used it in the 2000s for a, a variety of products that they made as well. Yeah, our, our friend George Sun owns the, the, the whole property for Shogun Warriors now. Right, that's right. And of course, they made those 24-inch uh, tall uh, Shogun Warriors, Go Lion and Die Rugger. And I believe they re-released, they made a new version of Godzilla, uh, which uh, is a tip of the hat to the 1970s version with the fire, the launching fist and the little lever-activated tongue that would stick out of the mouth and all that. So, and yeah. the wheels on the feet, good stuff. I remember so, George talking about one time that they were looking to to put together a, a live action Shogun Warriors movie. Oh, that would have been sweet. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, costs a lot of costs a lot of money and all that to make those movies. As the, oh, yeah. as Voltron movie aficionados or want to be movie aficionados <laughs> are very familiar with. Um, we will keep everyone posted with. Uh, official uh, voltron movie news as the announcements come out so yeah but right now there's nothing official that has happened yet and we just know that there's there's some people that have been mentioned and yes. that uh you know we're talking about a director and a co-writer and all that kind of stuff and some producers but until it gets you know taken by a studio and everything there's nothing that really happens right and uh, yeah so uh, let's keep our fingers crossed that that comes to pass and that it's the uh, bestest movie ever made. Yes. <laughs> All right. In the meantime, Natalie, thank you so much for joining us. Did you have anything else you wanted to uh, to share with us or our Um, I don't think yours? so. Thank you guys for having me. Did you have fun doing this? Yes. <laughs> okay, cool. Oh, great. You were always welcome back to uh, help us with another episode sometime. Yeah, your your knowledge of everything from past Voltron and and you know Voltron Force and everything really helps to you know bring together these episodes. So thank you very much. Yep, thanks. And we'll see you all next time on Let's Voltron. Let's